Today, I'm joined by Alex Knight, a 34-year-old estate agent who set up his estate agency a couple of years ago at Stone. And he, he's here to talk about his journey of being an estate agent, the, the ups and the downs, the trials and the tribulations, so you can learn from this very well-respected estate agent in the industry who knows his onions. Thank you for joining me today, Alex. Thank you very much for the kind words. So, Alex, you're, you've just turned 34. You will done by the time this video comes out. Um, were you, when you were born, were you brought up in Maidstone? Uh, I was brought up in Medway. Okay. So not too far, next town along. Okay. Um, talk to me a bit about your mum and dad. My parents are very religious. Um, I was brought up, uh, my dad is a deacon in the Catholic Church. My mum, a number of different careers, uh, but worked as a counsellor within one of the schools, um, primarily. And yeah, that's... you didn't fancy going in the business and being a, being a, going, you know, being a. If it's Roman Catholic, be a father, wouldn't it? Uh, it would. No, not not my dad. Wasn't for your. Did you have any brothers and sisters? I've got two sisters. Good stuff. So, are you age-wise, whereabouts are you? I'm the youngest, baby so, of the family. So you're the baby of the family. So, when you were growing up. Did you know what you wanted to be? No, I, I honestly didn't have a clue. So I, I went through school. Um, I liked business. I liked the concept of earning lots of money. Um, did business and economics at A-level. Went to university. To do uh, what? To be honest, to socialise. Um, <laughs> but the official topic, uh, official topic was business management. Where was that? Uh, Brunel, West London. Good stuff. Um, and then after 18 months of um, intensive so socialisation, I, I dropped out without any idea what I was going to do. Well, before we get to that point, um, what, um, what did your father teach you growing up? Good moral values, I'd say. It's probably the most important lesson. And your mum? The same. Where do you think, because you are a, you know, very focused sort of chap, you're, you're like a dog mm. with a bone, if you don't mind me saying. When you, when you get your teeth into something, you don't let go. You also, on social media, you don't say much, but when you do, and I say this nicely, you're quite opinionated. You, you, it's your way or, you know, where does that come from? That probably comes from my dad. Okay. Um, so my dad used to have a job up in the city of London um, before he you know, retired into you know, the church, I suppose, as it were. Um, used to be an enterprise architect for Lloyds of London, so designing a lot of their IT infrastructure. Oh, so he didn't, he didn't, he didn't go, you know, to preschool and went through the ranks that way. No, no. So he was, he probably misdescribed him, um, very much had a career with Lloyds of London um, and always been involved in the church, um, but got a lot more heavily involved um, towards my later teens. So he thought he'd get involved and, 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 and become a, 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 mm. a deacon. Do you come as a deacon or do you go in as a father and then move up? You're ordained as a deacon. You're ordained as a, as a deacon. So does he have a church in the in the Medway area then? Yeah, he does, yeah. Good stuff, good stuff. What did your um, sisters teach you, if they're older than you? Uh, well, they're very close in age gaps, okay. so 18 months apart between each of us. Okay. So we, we pretty much all grew up together. Fantastic. So you dropped out of, in the second year of uni. Yes. After uh, enjoying yourself. Yeah. What did your parents say to you when you dropped out? I think they, they saw the signs uh, a lot earlier than I did. Um, so it certainly wasn't unexpected when that happened. Um, the key was, you know, to get a job um, 
and to, to start contemplating what to do with my life next. So I got a job uh, within a week uh, working at Tesco, um, did some counselling. Uh, it was actually in the counselling room that estate agency as a concept was, was brought up. When you say counselling, you, you weren't counselling someone, you were being counselled. I was being counselled, yeah. By? Uh, a counsellor in Maidstone called John Kennett. Okay. Because um, you wouldn't expect chat. someone of 18, 19, that age to get counselling. It wasn't, it wasn't going, what kind of counselling was it? Uh, it, it very much personal counselling. I, I wasn't in the best headspace at the time. Um, if you don't mind me saying, that's quite switched on of you to accept counselling at such a young age. Well, my mum's a qualified counsellor. Ah, oh, enough said. <laughs> <laughs> Did that help, that counselling? Um, it helped get me back on the path. Um, I don't think it fully... I've done multiple bouts of counselling over my life. You know, okay. I appreciate I'm not here to talk too much on mental health today, but I've probably seen about four or five different therapists over my life. Um, but it, it helped get me back on a, a healthy path, as it were. Um, and I suppose um, helped kickstart my journey to maturing as an adult, as opposed to an irresponsible, reckless teenager um, living in his 20s. So you went to work for Tesco's, but very soon the, the bright lights of a state agency dawned upon you, did they? Yeah, well, to start with, it was right. I, I, want, to, I want to have my own business one day. That, that was clear from the outset. So the motivate you said earlier on to earn lots of money? Was it just the earning of the money, the fast cars and things like that that were of interest? To you? That was the attraction at the time. As I say, a teenager living in a 20-year-old body, um, that, that was the appeal at the time. We've all been there, um, haven't we? Yeah. OK, so did you... This was, what, about 2010, 11, somewhere around there? Yeah, well, 2011, going on 12. OK, so did you just put some applications into some state agents then? I put my suit on. I went to every single estate agency office within a 10-mile radius. Because you always, if you don't mind me saying, you always do dress very well. You, you know, your sartorial um, skills, is that, skills is not the wrong word, but you, you do have, you always dress well. It's, have you always been that way? It's grown over time. It started in a, a very cheap suit, a stereotypical-looking estate agent. Possibly still am. I'll leave that to the No, public. no, no. I, I think it looks really, really good, if you don't mind me saying. Thank you. Um, so you went, what, door knocking? Uh, pretty much, yeah. Door knocking for estate agents, walking in, asking to speak to the branch manager. Yeah. Um, I figured if I just posted a CV with Tesco written on it, it wasn't going to get me very far. So I went in, spoke to the branch managers, asked them what I needed to do to become an estate agent. And um, I ended up with three CVs on the area manager's desk for the same company. I didn't realise Countrywide were multi-branded at this point. Um, and he said, I've got so many of your CVs, I think we need to have an interview. Do you think many people would do that nowadays? Well, having my own estate agents, I can tell you the number of people that walk in to apply for a job are very, very few and far between, but they stand out a million miles away. Have you had anyone ever stand out to you saying, bloody hell, I need this guy or lady? Yeah, I, yeah, I have. Um, Did you employ them, by the way? Yes. Good stuff. Do you think more people should, if they're looking for a, to become an estate agent, should do that? I think so. You know, it, it demonstrates that you've... You've got the, many estate agents these days are reactive, not proactive. Mm. And what I'm looking for when I'm looking for an estate agent is someone that is proactive. Now, if you get dressed up smartly, walk into my office, don't just pass a CV quietly to the person at the front. Ask to speak to the manager. Ask to speak to the owner. Put the CV in, in that person's hand. 
um, and try and engage a conversation with them, try to open a conversation, what you're demonstrating in doing that is the core skills of a good agent. Absolutely spot on. I cannot disagree with you. So you went to work for Countrywide for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. Did it, was it good fun? It was interesting. Was it what, it, what you were, is it what you expected? Not at all. So 2021, so we had colour photocopies, so you weren't sticking photographs on brochures at the time, or were you? No, we weren't, not quite. Um, but Countrywide was slightly behind the curve at this point. Um, the awards were doing the, you know, the glowing professional photography. We were still using a little Casio camera, trying to see if we could just roughly get the camera level when we took a quick snap, um, which for me wasn't good quality marketing. So after a couple of years, you went towards, you say? Yes. Why did you swap? Was it just the allure of a better job or the word senior in the title or a couple of quid extra or a car or something like that? So a family member was actually buying a rental property through wards at the time. Um, and I was doing a lot of work to help them find the right property. So I, I was pretty much searching on their behalf. And the quality, you know, even in the conversations that I was having with their team, the quality stood out. You could see the level of training that they had. Because they're a large independent, aren't they? They are, yes. And, you could, and did you say to yourself, I could, I'd love to work there? Is that what you... I said to myself, I want to be involved in their training. I, I, I want to learn from their trainers because I can see that they're operating at a different level to the level I'm currently operating. I mean, that seems quite strange because Countrywide have always been famed for their training. Not at the time that I was working there. Okay. So... I, I joined, I was promoted quickly, um, three rapid promotions in quick succession, but on each one I didn't feel like I, I really learned anything. At the time there were no trainers. Uh, what, what little training there was was done with the area manager. My listing training was half a day. Again, it was 2011, so we were just coming out of the, of, of the recession. A lot of things yes. like training and budgets that were slashed. So it, would, it was going down to, to the area managers to, to sort out. So you went across to, to wards. What position did you do at wards when you moved across in 2013? So I joined as a marketing consultant. What's that in English? <laughs> um, it's... Uh, neg? Advanced neg. You're going on to do valuations. So as a marketing consultant, that's the first level within wards of listing. Um, so I joined with a view that I'd be on a listing course within six months, which I was. They delivered on that. So it's almost like um, half neg, half lister. So you've still got a yeah. core lister, but you're kind of Absolutely. a bit of holiday cover and go to the odd one that you can. In many ways, it's the hardest job because you're expected to deliver results on both, both ends. Um, what did you learn by trying to spin plates of being a neg and a valuer? Time management. Um, it's, it's a very difficult role to keep so many different plates spinning at once. Um, and keep the level of service up that you want to deliver. Did you make full-time value? Uh, not at wards. So probably by the time that I left wards, probably 70, 80% of my work was valuation, uh, valuations, 20, 30% was sales. Can you remember your first valuation? My first valuation was actually with Countrywide, and I remember it well. We all remember our first, don't we? It resulted in a complaint. Oh, no. Um, before I even got back to the office, the, the owner had called up my manager and said, you know, you sent this boy out to value my house. I felt like I should have given him a glass of milk and a plate of cookies. His words exactly. How did you feel <laughs> it about that? It wonders for my confidence. How did you feel about that? Because <laughs> that, that could have really knocked you. Well, it, it did in many ways. And although I managed to grind out results, you know, going forwards, 
even when I joined Ward and they sent me out my first valuations, um, to be honest, I fell flat on my face multiple times. And I was asked to then cover some valuations for another branch. It was only then when I was covering for another branch with no expectations whatsoever of a result because I didn't know the patch. All of a sudden, I, I converted, I think it was four out of five. Isn't it interesting that when, when we look, um, when we peg our hats on the expectation, mm. it tends to drag us down. But when we don't have those expectations and we, we, we can remove that baggage from our proverbial rucksack, things go a bit better. Well, it's interesting you touch on another topic there. The most successful companies are not the companies, in my opinion, that go out in search of profit, in search of market share. They're those with a more inspired mission. Um, take you know, Apple, for example, Steve Jobs, he, he didn't really care about the money side of it. All he wanted to do was provide good products for customers. And when you just focus on that mission, you take away the pressure of achieving those results, the pressure of, I have to convert this. And you can just focus on doing what's right by your customers. And the listings and the exchanges and the money will come from that. They're a byproduct of giving customers what they want. And again, I know we, you run your own business, so we're going to get to it in a second, but do you think you'll, you've been successful in your business because of that mantra? I think so. I think we've got work to do in that, on that front because coming out of COVID, we, we had to produce money to survive. We, we launched a, a terrible time in hindsight, um, and there was elements that we had to survive, but fighting to try and keep our moral values ahead of that hunger for survival and growth um, I think that's always something that Sam and I have, have managed very carefully and managed well. Sam's your business partner? Yes. Good stuff. Where did you meet Sam? Uh, working at Simon Miller. Okay, well, there you go. That's a nice segue into there. So, Which was what, my next job after Wards. There you go. <laughs> a deliberate segue. Um, wh why did you move to Simon Miller? I, Wards are a very successful company with a very low staff turnover at high levels. Um, I felt that was standing in the way of my career growth. You've only been there two years, mate. Uh, three, I think it was. Okay. Um, but I didn't see anybody above me leaving. I wanted to move forwards. And, and So your branch manager was, uh, it was in Dartford, wasn't it? Yes, it was, yeah. You could see your branch, you were waiting for dead man's shoes. Yes, yes. And with all the other branch managers on that part of, you know, uh, Northwest Kent, they, they've been there for years and they weren't going to be. Yeah, they probably averaged 20, 30 years apiece. Um, so I didn't see the opportunities opening up. Do you think they could have dealt with that differently by talking to you and saying, well, these are the opportunities? Again, just we, we, this is about helping people watch this video. And if there's some area managers and you've got lots of incumbent people in, what do you do with the people that want to come up? So at the time, nobody would have told me that I was not ready for the next step. I, I wouldn't have listened to anybody. With hindsight, and um, the position that I am now, I think I still had a lot to learn. Um, and my ambition and hunger um, made me tone deaf to, I suppose, my own faults. But when you're 23, 24, and you've, you've risen through the ranks, you, you know everything, don't you? Of course. I mean, in hindsight, I mean, you're in your mid-30s now. You wait till you get to your 50s. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, 100% agree. Nothing changes, you just have to go for a week halfway through the night. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you don't grow up. No. If you're waiting to get more mature and more, it doesn't matter for me. Okay, fair enough. Okay, so um, you were at Simon Miller now for a couple of years. You enjoy it? Yeah, I did. What were you doing there? 
uh, branch manager. All right. So, you, so this is your first branch manager role? Yes. So I went from 0 to 60, uh, I, I suppose, in a very short space of time, being a valuer to branch manager. Because the roles are very different. Good valuer doesn't make a good branch manager. Did you make no. any mistakes? Loads. Okay. Loads of mistakes. Um, I think, yeah, that, that was you know, one of my first lessons, that just being a good salesman does not make you a good manager. Um, and being a good manager also doesn't make you a good business owner. Um, they're all very different skill sets. I think, yeah, that's one of the things that, one of the, the faults in our industry, I think, you know, our, our industry promotes good salespeople and expects them to be good managers. And a good valuer doesn't make a good branch manager. No. No. Actually, some of those skills are opposed. They are. So where do you get your branch managers from if you're not promoting your good sales stuff? Well, most people promote um, valuers because they want to pay them more, when in reality we should be paying our valuers more and putting someone who's a great manager leader. Mm. Did you love being a branch manager? I did. Um, one of the things that I actually loved was working with the staff and seeing them develop. Okay. You were only 24, 25 at the time. That's quite... Probably 26, 26, I think. Okay. That, most people, most young lads at 25, 26 are not... That doesn't flick their switch. No. If you don't know what I'm saying, you've got quite an old head on young shoulders. So again, where did that come from? One of the things that I did do um, outside of my socialisation at uni, um, I was looking at my CV at the time thinking, OK, I'm going to come out of this with a degree, potentially. Um, but everyone's going to be coming out with a degree. So I started to look at things that I could do to enhance that degree. I did a qualification in project management, um, which was very good and very useful, actually, um, in later life. I also did a course in neurolinguistic programming, um, which I found very interesting. And it covers a lot of things, you know, learning the way the mind works, um, touching at entry level on, on coaching and developing. Um, and I, I started to lean... I mean, it was this job was probably six years after I'd done that course, but I got my old course notes out. I started to read through it um, and started to lean very heavily on that. Um, and it's quite interesting when you, you know, sit down with your, your team and you, you look at what they've been doing and you try to break it down. You try to reverse engineer the results that they're getting and understand why. Um, and if you can understand why they're getting the results, you can understand, you can get into their mindset, get into their perceptual position um, and understand where they're coming from. That's when you can really start to understand where the corrections are needed. Um, so it was quite interesting. I, I had one member of staff, um, you listen to the language that you use and, and she had a, one word that she used to use time and time again and it's, it's one of those things that when you're in your own world you don't understand until one day I sat behind her during a call and I did a bar chart of how many times she used the word lovely in that call. The call was four and a half minutes, she used the word 27 times um, and yeah, it, it's little corrections like that that make big differences so I sat down with her and said Look, I want to just play back the start of this call with you and I played back the first minute I said are there any words there that you feel that you said, right, I'm going to play it back again. This time I want you to start making a tally of how many times you used the word lovely. And we did. And I, I stopped it after about 30 seconds. The aim wasn't to humiliate. I said, look, 27 times during that call. Um, you know, what I want you to go away and think about is alternate vocabulary you could be using. Um, I said, I did actually observe two days ago you using the word lovely multiple times while booking a probate valuation. 
Now, you know, what you need to work on is the vocabulary that you're using, <clears throat> excuse me, and tailoring that to the conversation that you're having. Um, and she went away, she took on board what was said, and, you know, I never actually heard her use that word again. Um, but what emerged was a plethora of different words that she could use, um, and she used them very well. And it helped her to grow. And I got a buzz from helping her to grow. Again, sounds marvellous, but something I wouldn't expect from a 25, 26-year-old. So again, you must come back to the fact your self-awareness that you wanted to, to do better with your CV. And again, that come from your parents? I think, yeah, it probably did, actually. Having a, a mum as a counsellor, um, and my dad was uh, very intellectual. Oh, it is very intellectual. Um, and this, you know, he did an NLP course, which is what made me think about going on an NLP course. Um, he was very strategic in his job, um, and very strategic in the way that he, I suppose, ran his life. So I guess I picked up a lot of things from I mean, that. A lot of people think it's, it's voodoo mag magic, but it's not, because if you can understand how people think and act and what they say and what they mean, and words are very, very powerful, you know, it's like you're an estate agent, you want more house people to put your house on the market with them. If you can work out how they act and think, then you can use those skills. Absolutely. You know, and you're not doing anything underhand, you're just using the power of human psychology. Yeah. Because aren't we in a people business? Well, how, how can you actually help someone achieve what they want if you don't understand what they want? And they probably don't even understand themselves. Exactly, which makes it all the more challenging. Indeed. Which means you really need to, you need to be deeper in their own mindset than they are themselves. Why do you think estate agents aren't very good at sales psychology? I think over the years there's been a real erosion of expectations, of talent, of training. Um, I think you know, as the various different downturns in the market have happened, a lot of the good staff have gone away to other better paid industries that perhaps haven't suffered as much from the housing downturns. And you've then had other very influential figures enter the estate agency corporate world, promoting things like retail. Um, we won't name her. Um, but it's, it's led to a, a real erosion in, in the key skill sets that I think you know, estate agents should be promoting. You left Simon Miller to go and work uh, for a, an independent agent as a business development. Would you just got a little bit bored of being a branch manager for Simon Miller? Uh, I had some personal issues um, in my life at the time and I just felt it was the right time to move on. Um, an opportunity presented itself to do something that was slightly different, a bit of a different spin on what I was doing, learn some new skills and I, I decided to run with it. How did it go? Well, I certainly learned some new skills. Um, so that was one of the good things. Um, it was a very different environment, different culture. Um, there were a lot of things that I felt uncomfortable with um, in terms of the way that things were run and operated. Um, I spent a couple of months there. Uh, I learned a lot and it's the only job that I've ever left without another job to go to. Wasn't that scary? Had you bought your own house by this time? Or... Had my own house by this time. Uh, had a dependent at the time. I'm not married, I've been no. married. Okay, um, with, with your partner at this time? With my yeah, with my partner, um, owning a house, with a child. Did you discuss it beforehand, that you were going to hand your notice in without another job? 
Yeah, we discussed it beforehand. Um, the, the She's in the nursing profession, yeah. isn't she? Were you not scared? Massively. The crux of it was some of the things that I was being asked to do, in my opinion, were not ethical. Um, and regardless of my need to earn money, regardless of my need to pay my mortgage, my bills, etc., um, there's lines that I won't cross. So did she tell you, hand you notice, not tell you, but support you with your, I've got to go? Yeah, she supported me. Uh, we didn't have an exact plan for how we were going to um, make things work. Um, but we muddled, muddled through it. And yeah, I, I managed to get a job fairly quickly after. Okay. I mean, this was 2019. So you got, went back to Countrywide. But you, I did. Now, had you considered this? You were only at Countrywide for probably just under a year. Yes. Um, you were, were you still in contact with your colleague, Sam? I was, yeah. When did you decide that starting your own agency was the right thing to do? Two and a half years before this point. I just hadn't worked out exactly how or who, uh, yeah, how I was going to do it or who I was going to do it with. When did, I mean, you started your agency in the first month of lockdown. Yep. <laughs> Honestly, the amount of times that I've had people on that sofa who set up their agency just at the worst part of the credit crunch. So you're in good company. Okay. When did you and when did when did you and Sam decide that you wanted to set up your own estate agency? We were sat in the office uh, in December, uh, start of December twenty or two thousand nineteen. Um, was uh, he? Was he? Was he? He joined me at Countrywide. Yeah, he okay. joined me. We were sat in the branch. We'd built the branch up from available stock of I think it was one when we took over the office uh, up to twenty three, um, and we had huge plans and ambitions. We wanted to grow, but constantly our, our ambitions were being frustrated um and yeah I, I sat down with sam and said there's got to be a better way this is what i've been working on in the background for the last two and a half three years what do you think and we spent a couple of weeks um going over sam came at it from some different angles that i hadn't thought of we reinvented and it got to a point you know a week before christmas should we do it then <laughs> so we did. Had you saved yourself up a lump of cash to kind of... No, not at all. I was heavily in debt. You set up your own estate agency. Yep. Heavily in debt. Correct. Did you not consider one of these self-employed models? I looked at it. Uh, I had a couple of EXP people approach me. Um, but I wanted... They all do that. Don't yeah, they special. do. They, oh. Big love to everyone <laughs> in EXP, by the way. <laughs> I felt special then. Um, <laughs> spoil, got, spoil it for me. Have you got a pulse? Have you got a word of value? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Um, no, I, I... So, I'll be honest, I'd sat down. I had a second child on the way. Yep. Um, I sat down. I looked at what I was earning at Countrywide. I looked at what I needed, you know, what their commission structure would allow me to earn to balance my books. And, honestly, the tools I was being given to complete the task were not adequate for me to get the branch to the position that I could earn the commission that I needed to balance my books. So I looked and I wrote out, you know, the trajectory. I mapped it all out. I said, okay, I'm 12 months away here from running out of cash and finding myself in a sticky situation where I will end up defaulting on something. So I did what any person in debt would do. I looked at what my borrowing options were. I found a lender that was willing to lend me uh, 25,000. Um, and I looked at my business plan and I thought, how much do I need? Okay, I need 
you know, 12,000 if I'm matched in this uh, with my business partner. Um, and I've the money. Had a second child on the way at the time as well. Um, didn't anticipate COVID. Uh, 1st of January, both Sam and I handed in our notice. Um, and we, we had our plan set to launch on the 1st of March, which we did. Um, COVID was very much whispers afoot at the time. There was the first confirmed case in the UK near Maidstone. Um, and yeah, we, we, we launched, we went at it, all guns blazing. Um, I'd, I'd very much gone all in at this point. If this didn't work, then I, I was bankrupt. No two ways about it. They're, they're, I had nothing to lose, which actually was quite liberating um, because yeah, it, it was one of the things that made it easier for me to launch. The risk of failure was the same as the risk of continuing on the, on the trajectory that I was on. So what have I got to lose? Let's do it. Um, take away the fear of loss, because if you've already got that loss, then why not, why not go ahead with it? Anyway, we launched 1st of March. We had this business plan and you know, we looked at all the numbers and we based everything on worst case scenario. Worst case scenario, we list six a month and we sell four and that brings home enough money for me to pay all of my bills and for me to support you know, my family that I needed, needed to support. Um, so list six, sell four. That was the plan, COVID. All of a sudden we can't list six and we've got no hope of selling four. Um, and our, our plans to you know, be break even on business cash flow within six months and to be turning a profit within nine months, which is what I've budgeted my personal finances on, yeah and set aside reserves to be able to do, all got pushed back by four months. Um, so we spent a couple of days panicking and then we spent a couple of days thinking, well, we're in this far, um, we're, we're all in this far, what are we gonna do about it? So we started planning our, our launch out of lockdown while well, we was in lockdown, so I, went online, we ordered um, two and a half thousand branded face masks from China. And we came out with this plan that as we were getting, you know, as we anticipated the end of lockdown, we'd start writing to other agents stock and providing them with PPE. Um, and so we sent out our face masks to all the other agents stock. And we created a, a problem for ourselves. We came out of lockdown and by August, so our plan of list six, sell four, we listed 27. Now, whilst that's wonderful, and you think as a new business owner, fantastic, we've got, we're falling over customers at the moment. We hadn't planned for recruiting, for hiring a new office that was double the size. We hadn't planned for paying out 20 sets of 27 sets of professional photography. Um, we hadn't planned for how we were going to do all of this sales regression. It was just Sam and I. How can we sustain this level and keep, and I don't know how we did it. I, 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 I think at the time I was running four credit cards, three overdrafts, um, scary levels of debt. Um, Sam was keeping his ends financially as well. We you know, had Rishi Sunak's grant. We got a bounce back loan going and somehow we, we came out the other side of it. And I remember our, our, our very first sale was actually in lockdown. And it was also our first exchange. Um, and that money hitting our account was such a relief. It was a plot of land. Hence, we were able to sell it during lockdown. Um, we sent the photographer out with a drone on his daily walk and the buyer 
went out on their daily walk for this rural plot of land with planning permission and that was our first exchange and they started to flow quite quickly after that and started to get slightly calmer about how things were going. You're now um, three year, three and a bit years in. Yes. Do you think those hard times made you better agents? I think it made us better business people. Um, did it make us better agents? I think it very much tested our resolve and it very much tested how far we were prepared to go to be different as an agency. The very, I'll tell you one story, the very, so we, we have a philosophy at Night Evans, we don't negotiate on fees. We're the only agent in our town that will not negotiate. Since we launched, we haven't done a single deal on fees. I charged my mum and dad the same fee selling a property that I charge for everybody else. Because for me, if you've got three properties um, in the same road, why should they be paying different fees when they're getting the same level of service? So Sam and I were sat in the office and we'd sent out a load of leaflets and our first call came in for evaluation. How much do you charge? Oh, 1.25% plus VAT. Oh, so you won't do 1%. Well, look, why don't we come out and talk to you and talk to you a little bit about what we do? Anyway, we managed to convince her to book us in. Husband calls up an hour later to cancel it. And this was our first valuation. Okay, should, should we just go with this? Should we do an introductory fee? Should we, how can we bend these rules to get this listing? And we said, look, if we're going to do this, if we're going to bring about change, even though it's our first one, even though this is going to be painful, we've got to let it go. And we did. And yeah, the next one, we were even more nervous, but we managed to get our foot through the door. And I um, always remember it, nice three bedroom detached house in the beams in Maidstone. Uh, it was our first listing. And went out there, sat down with them, and he asked how much we charge, and we said, and he objected. I said, look, what we want to do, what we're trying to create here, our vision, is to you know, create an estate agency that's more focused on giving you the maximum possible value. We want to be able to do marketing that's different. Um, I talked to him about our reservation agreements that we offer, uh, which was completely unique at the time. Gazeel were just launching as well. Um, and long and the short of it was, we convinced them that the product that we offer was worth more than other agents were quoting him. And we were the most expensive of the free agents that he had out, and he chose us. Because it would been very easy just to pull your pants down on your fees, wouldn't it? Yeah, very easy. Um, and that's how most agents launch, by buying, buying a certain amount of market share cheap. So now we're in the summer of 2023. Mm -hmm. Things are going okay with you and Sam and the business? Yeah, they're going very well. We've, we've actually just had our second complete year um, figures put together by the accountants. And it's, it's a real turning point for us now. It's you know, our second successive year of you know, good level profitability, um, which opens up a world of different options. Um, so we're exploring options about, you know, can we grow the lettings book now by acquisition? How can we reinvest into the business to, to really get this growth accelerating? And if I had a bunch of your vendors on your sofa, what would they say about your agency, Knight Evans? <laughs> What would I like them to say? What would they what say? What would they say? What would they say? I think, generally speaking, that they recognise uh, the you know it's primarily Sam that goes out and does brings most of our properties to the market. 
They recognize the ambition. They recognize the desire to be ethical, to, to change the industry. Why did you go into business with someone else? Um, I guess a bit of a fear of not being successful doing it myself. Um, I know that I have my own weaknesses. Um, I'm very impulsive. Um, when I've got something in my head, I very much set my sights on it. My, my focus narrows. Like I say, the dog with the bone. We said like that. a dog with a bone. And having a, a business partner that when I've set my sights on something, which is a great strength when you're launching a business, but having someone there that says, well, hang on a minute, you've stopped looking around you here. You're so focused on that that you're ignoring this, um, gives me balance. Um, and I think we balance each other quite well. Um, you know, I see a new gadget or gizmo or a bit of fancy prop tech and I'm on it, I want it, that's it. And once I've made my mind up, I want it, I'm gonna go and get it. But then I need people around me that are gonna say, well, hang on a minute, Alex. You've not really considered that. Well, how much does that cost? I'm like, never mind how much it costs. Look what it's gonna do for our business. Well, no, we need to sit. And, you know, I, I struggle to do that myself and, and balance myself. And I think it works well when you've got someone that, you know, balances you. If I was to invite you back in 10 years' time, where do you think you and Sam will be with the business? <laughs> Bahamas? Um, no, where will we be with the business? So you'll be in your mid-40s, so you'll still be, you'll still be young. Yeah. So our, our plan for Knight Edmonds is that we, you know, we want to create a blueprint in each town that we operate of how estate, you know, a real concept of how estate agency could be done. Um, you know, commanding a very big presence and market share, um, working in big towns with hubs, um, but also covering the areas in between quite nicely. Um, I'd like to think that we would. Uh, be leading the way in terms of showing people the future of estate agency. I'd like to think we would have a company full of absolute A-class estate agents with every tool under the sun at their disposal, um, with very advanced training. Um, something that I'm very focused on, um, it's very much part of our, our business plan for 2024, is training and development. Um, you got good, have you got a good team that work with you? Yeah, we have, and we've got good plans of how we're going to achieve it. We want to uh, advance the skills of our agents, uh, and we want to advance the knowledge. So I think yeah, if the government ever get around to bringing in ROPA, fantastic for our industry. Um, but that's going to teach people skills, uh, sorry, uh, knowledge and regulation. Um, but what, ne need, what really needs to sit alongside that is the skills that these agents need. And attitude. And attitude. Well, attitude's much harder to train. You recruit for attitude, you teach the skills, you teach the knowledge. Um, I mean, attitude is actually incredibly difficult to recruit at the moment. I think post-COVID, um, people's attitudes and mindsets have changed. People, people's attitudes and mindsets have been skewed by six months on the sofa watching Netflix. Um, Even though it was three years ago. Sorry? Even though it was only three, it was three years ago. It's not as if it was last week, was it? I know, but, you know, it's... it's it's funny how, how the world seems to have changed. I mean, whether or not that's just I'm in a different role to where I was pre-COVID. I think bosses often think, you know, there's no way that your, your colleagues are going to be as passionate about your business as you because it's your baby. It's like everyone looks, everyone is very proud of their actual baby, but mm. no one, you know, when your mates have a kid, you go, well, that's very nice and move on. Mm. Interesting times. Well, 
I, I know you and Sam will do brilliantly well. Just carry Thank on you. the journey you are. Remember, the shortcut is the long game. And it's obvious you get that. So I wish you well in the future. And thank you for your time today. Thanks, Chris. Cheers. Thank you very much.